Welcome to Church in the North, a podcast by ministry leaders and for ministry leaders. I'm your host, Rob Chartrand, Program Coordinator for Christian Ministry at Briarcrest College, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jeff Dresser, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts. Welcome, Jeff. Morning, Rob. And we have with us today our guest host, Caitlin Brennan, backed by popular demand, Director of Youthquake. Good morning, Caitlin. Good morning. <laughs> and Dan Goddard is away this morning, and he's up to no good. We all know that to be true. No, we don't. Anyway, hey, we've had a, uh, a quite a week across the Prairie Provinces and uh, much of North America. Low minus 30 temperatures with wind chill for here in Saskatchewan. That means it was like low minus 40s, like bordering on minus 50 with wind chill. So that's pretty cold. Did you, you, you guys felt cold uh, this last week? Were you cold? Jeff, how about you? Were you cold? Uh, I was I was very cold, but I stayed indoors yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Caitlin, was that cold for you or is that easy? Not easy. No. Um, very glad that it was in January and we didn't have the same spurt in like November and December and then probably again in February. So yeah. it's nice to have less of it. But Yeah. Yeah. I guess it was quite a contrast to what yeah. we experienced for the last few months. Um a plus zero out riding my bike around the city in November, late November. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when it's this cold outside, do you guys like do you, do you like behave differently? I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you spend your time? Like, what's what's your what's your go to practices? Do you like eat Doritos and and hibernate with like fuzzy pajamas and bear claw slippers, or do you um, I don't know? Do you get outside and 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 face it? Um, what's your what's your plans, uh, Caitlin? What do you do when it's this cold outside? Uh, I'm more of the Dorito um, fuzzy sock hibernation uh, tactic you just mentioned. I feel like everything should stop when it's cold. Right. And we should just all be allowed to stay inside our homes. Okay. And not do anything. So you think everything should stop? No, I'm just joking. Oh, okay. But I really, I I don't, I don't like leaving my house. I, to for me, I think it's more of the like, if I was to go for a quick walk or like do something like that, that's whatever. I think it's just the driving. Like I just don't trust like if something was to happen, right. like I just have it constantly yeah. in my head, which is probably really pessimistic of like, if the car was to stop right now and turn off, you would die. Right. Like that's that's <laughs> where I go. I'm like, this is too risky yeah. to be outside. So, so. Do, you, do you like take precautions? Do you like put snow pants and parkas in your car and candles and flares and everything like that? Ooh, I don't have candles or flares, uh, but I, yeah, I do have like all my winter gear, a blanket, stuff like that, which I, this is like, I think it was exactly three years ago, just the other day, because Kathy reminded me, uh, I rolled my car oh. and um, I remember I like rolled it. I was totally fine. And then I like I had all my stuff, so I put on all my stuff, and I just sat in the car waiting because like I saw a bunch of people coming, and then someone came and knocked on my window and was like, "Are you okay?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm just staying warm." <laughs> I was like, "Cause it was that, that was a really cold morning too," and I felt very wow. prepared with wow. my ski pants and blanket. Wow! So. So did you have like a phone like you could call like? Yeah, yeah. Like I, I called and yeah, then yeah, yeah. I just waited in the car. Wow. So. so was it a roll in a prairie ditch? Is that? Yep, right okay. in between uh, Moose Jaw and Cairnport, okay. right across from the JGL. Oh yeah, yeah, icy, icy curve. Yeah, yeah. there yeah. was like four other cars with me, so we were just <laughs> together, <laughs> together in our. Um, yeah. Wow! Crazy. Yeah. Wow, Jeff. What about you? How do you react to cold weather? Um, I also think like you can't, if you're going to hole up during the cold, then, uh, I mean, you can't just shut down your life for three months. Um, but I, I, 
I still do what needs to be done, but I am miserable. Hmm. And so that's that's how I cope. I just I just become miserable. And, and I've um, I've learned over the years that you know we'll go through a spell like this, and then suddenly one day, I'll I'll my mood will improve, and I'll have a, a greater sense of contentment, and I'll feel like, hey, I, you know, I'm really. I'm maturing. I am learning to trust in the. But then I, I just, you know, I look at my weather app, and no, it's actually warmed up today. That's what okay. it is. So, so I, I am an amoeba. Okay. I just respond to stimuli. Yeah. There's no higher functioning at all. So when it's cold, I am miserable. Okay. Wow. And, and that's just, you know, it's okay. I deserve to suffer. Wow. You know, it, it purifies me. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, and and that's the way it's going to have to be. Wow. Your response to suffering is. Um, Quite profound, yeah. Um, Excellent. Yeah, it parallels the theological understanding of sanctification right there. I see that uh, at work in your life. So. Well, but I can't take any credit for it because, as I said, I am just an amoeba. There's no higher functioning. I just respond to the to the stimuli. Uh, so it was today that day? Like, did you feel better today? Because it, I felt like, like 20 degrees I felt below. A little, so nice. here's what I did. Yeah, today's I nice. I have been, to my shame, I have been driving to school instead of the seven minute walk that I have to school. He lives a this couple week. blocks from school. But, but, um, <laughs> but <coughs> today I, I walked to the studio because I knew we were going to be talking about the cold. And so I thought it was sort of the podcast equivalent of method acting. For oh me to, like, my. And, um, but yeah, it's only like minus 22 or something this morning. So but it, it actually wasn't warm. that bad. Yeah. yeah. It, Comparatively, yeah, yeah. Comparatively, right. It's, like, yeah. it's a twenty degree difference. It's, it's yeah. crazy. Like, wow, this is amazing. I feel so, great. So believe it or take off my believe coat. it or not, this is me not at my darkest. Like right. there's actually a, a darker shade. Right. This there's... is why Canadians put on like gym shorts when it's zero degrees Celsius because yeah. it's all relative, right? Yeah. To what we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. You guys ever heard of the the Wim Hof technique? You, this guy Wim Hof, he does like this breathing in in sub zero temperature. He goes outside and uh, I've not heard about it, but I'm against it already. <laughs> So I, I, I'm not a Wim Hof guy at all, but I, during COVID and it was like, a, there was a real big cold snap in Edmonton and, and I discovered Wim Hof and I thought, this guy's insane, but I kind of like him because he's insane. So, but yeah, he will like run outdoors with his minus 30 and with just like t-shirt and shorts or without, without a shirt. And, and he's like a survivalist and he, he does like Arctic plunges. He like swims underwater in the Arctic lakes for distant records and all this sort of anyway so i i try the wim hof every time it's like super cold like i'm gonna do this and i'll go outside with just like my flip-flops on and uh, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt and i'll stand on my my stairs and i'll be there for like two or three minutes and it's like super cold and i'll do his like breathing technique he breathes in and then slowly lets it out and i tell you it's like a cup of coffee like it's 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 really great it's like a cold plunge um, wow. Yeah. So anyway, but no, normally though I do like hold up inside, but I get squirrely. Do you guys get cabin fever? Like I, after a day, I get a little crazy in my house. If I don't leave for like a fold, like not even like walk outside, yeah. then a hunt. Yes. Like COVID. I feel like COVID was, it was, I was talking to somebody the other day about how I was like, we could, I could go for like another, not like, <laughs> not like another bout of COVID. No, but no, like, not like the millions of people dying. <laughs> but but other than that, this let's cut this. Feel like let's COVID. cut this. <laughs> no, but I could go for, cause I just felt like the skit, like my schedule in COVID was like my favorite because it was like, it was just like, I could, felt like I was so free to like yeah, do everything. Yeah. And I just felt like I could do everything that, yeah. cause it was just open schedule. But I did like in Caremport, 
I felt like I could just walk around and no one was like looking at you weird or right. you could like do stuff. And even though you're by yourself, like you're not with other people, but yeah, especially anyway. content creation, right? Cause you got a lot, yeah. a lot of free time, a lot of yeah. white space, literally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I so, wonder if in like a hundred years, it'll be like t- COVID will be turned into a holiday where we all just like take a month and hole up and don't, don't talk to anyone. And it'll be this <laughs> wonderful thing. And like, I will, I'm into that. National COVID it's month. like, yeah. yeah. Like March is now just COVID. <laughs> I like that. I liked it. Is we, it March we, when it we, we had the we, the boys all came home from school. We were all together, so there was there yeah, there's some good. There stuff were some there. fond yeah. memories. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. Hey, Caitlin, you're the director of YQ. Uh, YQ is bumped to like May and June and April and May. April. That's it. April and May. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Rob Chartrand, who's going to be at both YQ weekends. Um, it's it's, all, speaking, a bl- it's so all a blur. After hopefully, April. he doesn't show up in June. <laughs> It's in my calendar. <laughs> um, so YQ, it used to be in like February though. I mean, it just got swapped out a couple of years ago. Yes, uh, was, three years Did you ago. ever have like a super cold uh, YQ where it's this this bad out? They probably did. Um, I have never actually experienced Youthquake where it was that cold, where, okay. you know, not minus 30 or mm. 40 and mm. minus 50 with the wind chill, but... We honestly would pray for it to be a little bit cold just right. so that we were keeping people in the buildings and keeping track of them. Right. They're and not running off into the bushes or. Exactly. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 But it always was a battle too. Cause you like, you want the roads to be good. Cause you have so many people driving from so far and yeah, you actually don't want it to be kind of warm where the snow is melting and it's getting slushy because right. then the school is, I mean, it's already a disaster after YQ is over, but the extra layer of mud and slushy snow and stuff throughout the school isn't um, the custodial team's favorite task when the the weekend's over. now we just got all new carpet, so that would be really bad. Yes. Although, you know, secretly inside, I'm like, oh, I wish it would be like a YQ where it would be like minus 40 because all those people from BC could feel and experience you know what we go through on a daily basis here in saskatchewan you know uh, I, I don't know how well that would do for recruiting for the school yeah, exactly <laughs> they would be like and that's why we live in bc and drive back home and yeah. never turn back yeah so when it's this cold uh you know a lot of church attendance can seem to drop um i remember i mean i pastored in edmonton for for 16 years and Inevitably, if it's super snowy or super cold, some families would choose to stay home, especially now that we have online church. People are just like, I'll just watch online. Um, Do you think pastors should feel bad when church attendance is low because of cold weather? Like if you're a pastor and you look out on the crowd on a Sunday morning and you're like, is that a a good thing or what do you guys think? Well, I think, I mean, it's just to be expected and I know um, for us th- this Sunday, like a lot of people, just they couldn't start their car, so mm-hmm. they they weren't um, well, they, they didn't sh- have they a way. Walk. Well, <laughs> okay, that's you, you. You're very optimistic. And do your deep breathing outside yeah, of your right. <laughs> Yeah. But um, but we had a, a prayer meeting on Sunday night when it you know it was like minus thirty eight or whatever it was, and so our numbers were were down. Yeah, but it was actually. Uh, in a strange way, encouraging, and I shared this in the prayer meeting that it had a um, a sense of the persistent widow. Right. That yeah, yeah, it's like it's minus forty out there. We could very easily have said, you know what, guys, we're going to cancel tonight because it's so cold. Sure. But we showed up, and um, and there weren't a whole lot of us, but 
I just had this sense that God was up there looking down at us thinking, man, those people are crazy. Like <laughs> they're, they're getting together to pray uh, for revival and to reach our community. And um, so I just have a sense that, uh, you know, that, that God is going to honor that. Okay. And uh, so yeah. for me, that was encouraging. And, and I just, you know, being uh, in, you know, pastoring in Canada for a couple decades, you just understand that, yeah, when the weather's bad, the numbers are going to be down a little bit. But um, we were really encouraged by the, uh, that we had some people out there and, and we made the most of it. Hmm. Hmm. What do you think, mm-hmm. Caitlin? Yeah, I think when your car doesn't start and then no one else is willing to leave their house to come and help you start it. Um, I mean, you only can do what you can do. And same with snow. Like if roads are bad or it's like blizzard, like snowing, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, I, I don't feel bad. But say, like same on Sunday, I think our like my church is already quite small and we maybe had 20 people mm. like mm. it was like. Matt and I got there and we were like, oh, I guess everybody took the option today, you know, kind of jokingly. But at the same time, you don't know the reality of what is actually happening or how they made that decision or so. Because no one's been plugging in their cars for two, three months and then all of a sudden, bam, temperature drops and we assume they'll start. And we all realize we have bad batteries um, (laughs) and they can't get it off the ground. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of think of the pastors, I, I mean, I can rationalize it as a pastor. Yeah, the numbers are low. It's bad weather. But part of me still is like, I put in all this work and did all this energy and it's just not going to reach as many people. And and maybe that's just a a bad attitude or like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here to to be part of this, but they're not here. I wrote this message for this guy and he decided (laughs) to stay home today. (laughs) Yeah, typically I don't do that. But but after you write it, you're like, oh, yeah, maybe this would have been. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so, you know, I, I, I can imagine it, it, it feels depressing. Like even during COVID, you know, you look out on your crowd right. and there's 30 people there because you can't have more than that in the building. I mean, it, it is a kind of a sad reality or the people aren't together. And mm-hmm. there's so much good that happens when you have a, a larger group. But um, but yeah, I suppose weather's weather. That's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Jeff, I'm, I'm surprised at you because, I mean, you're like a diehard, you have to be at church kind of guy, right? You can't skip a Sunday. You can't miss a Sunday. Um, it seems like you're starting to move the line here a little bit. It's getting a little blurry. Well, oh, no, he no, hates no. the cold. Don't so. worry. There's no grace that I'm showing people. <laughs> Believe me, I'm still judging them for staying home. No, no. I mean, I just, uh, I mean, for me, I mean, I, uh, you know, people are people and, and they're going to have varying levels of commitment. Mm-hmm. And I still firmly believe that like, if it's, if you can get someone there to open the doors, then yeah. open the doors. And, um, uh, you know, and that, you know, don't cancel your service. Like I'm still, mm-hmm. that's still my very strong bias, right. but just when the weather's bad, numbers are going to be, going to be down. But, um, I guess in terms of, of church leadership, I, I feel strongly that you, you still have to be faithful and, um, and be there, open the doors, have your service and not be like, I mean, you've got to be the most enthusiastic person in your church about going to church. Right. Mm. Okay. 
So is there a line? Like what, what's the what's the temperature line where you're like, oh, that's that's no excuse. Like, is it minus 20? Is it minus 30? You know, because I think we can say, oh, it's cold outside. And we can always say it's cold outside. It can be plus five and you can say it's too, <laughs> it's too cold to get in my car. In, I mean, for me in, man, I'm so old. Like it's over 20 years of, of being in ministry. Uh, there's been one Sunday where we canceled and that was, um, that was a safety issue. It was uh, when I was in Ottawa and we just had this huge dump of snow yeah. and the roads were not cleared. And so, but I, um, myself, the lead pastor and the sound guy, we made it to to church. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then the three, the three of us got there, um, early and then realized, and you know, all the other churches were deciding to, to cancel their service. So we, we canceled the service and I can't remember how, I think someone, I think someone with a, with a four wheel drive, like drove me to, um, drove me to church and my neighbor actually, uh, blew out my driveway the night before, my neighbor was not a Christian, mm-hmm. and uh, but he knew that I was a you know he knew that I was a pastor and had to get to church Sunday morning, so he blew out my driveway. Wow. Treasures and, in heaven, yeah. Right there. And yeah. um and so I made it to to church. The sound guy took his snow snowmobile to get to church. I love that and, so um, much. Um and I think like I had to like I couldn't park in the parking lot. I had to park out on the street and like walk up to the, to the church. So we, we canceled it. And, uh, but then I remember talking to my neighbor afterwards and he was so disappointed and he was saying like, do I still get credit with the big guy for, um, oh my God. For, for, for clearing out your driveway? And I was like, yes, I'm sure God looks on the heart. You're like I said and that so, right yeah, up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, I can imagine some of our missional uh, church planters and leaders who are listening to this are like, you guys are so fixated on Sunday morning uh, that that's your your whole understanding, your ecclesiology is just about getting people into a building and offer them religious goods and services. And uh, just to clarify, no, we're just speaking to the majority of our pastors out there who go through this when cold weather happens. And of course, we have a much bigger picture and understanding of what the church is and, and expressions of, of worship. So just just wanted to qualify that. Lest we get questions and mm. emails and whatnot, I don't imagine any of that's going to happen. But anyway. I'm going to send one now. <laughs> that's okay. I'm unbending. <laughs> I will say, though, I think the bigger thing, and this is just going to be my little throw-in to yeah. show that I'm relevant, if people can drive to watch the Buffalo whatever NFL team play. Did yeah. you guys see the pictures of the stadium? No. You couldn't see the seats. Like the snow was yeah. so packed in there. And they had fans show up and start shoveling and they were paying fans to clear the stadium so people could watch a football game. Wow. So, you know, if the dedication is there for that, let's get it like that for the church. Yeah. Preach it. There yeah. we go. Okay. Good. Yeah. That's a good final word. Our guest this week is Daisy Richardson. Uh, She's actually from Moose Jaw, and she's part of the staff team at Hillcrest Church, and her job title is, wait for it, Community Advocate. And she's part of the pastoral team. She has been there for a long time, but uh, this is a really unique role that is very uncommon for churches. And so I wanted to get her on the show to tell her story and talk about how God has uh, used her church in the local community of Moose Jaw. And so I'm excited to have her. Caitlin, Jeff, thanks for joining me this morning on the podcast. Thanks, Rob. All right. Have thanks a great so week. much. Bye. 
Well, hey, uh, we are excited to have Daisy Richardson with us here today on the Church in the North podcast. Daisy is the community advocate for Hillcrest Church in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. Daisy, welcome to the Church in the North. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Rob. Well, we want to get started like we do with so many of our guests, and I want to hear about your uh, your journey in ministry. Um, maybe take us back to those early days. When when did you kind of have the first idea that you would maybe you know, get involved in ministry or be in ministry? Yeah, well, I grew up as a missionary kid in Guatemala. Right. So my parents were missionaries and they were in full-time ministry. In fact, almost everybody in my life was because okay. our teachers at our school were also down there um, in ministry um, serving free of charge. And um, so I think it was probably more processing what would I do if I wasn't in somehow connected to church ministry or mission ministry. Um but I do remember um, I, I, a very specific moment um, in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, as a Bible college student. Weyburn. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we were there on a little children's ministry um, team for a week, and I hadn't, I hadn't specifically decided what I was doing. was just kind of seeing what God would do. And, um, and a friend had asked us, would we visit these teenage girls that she knew from there and just mm. check in on them and see how they were doing? Yeah. We were a children's ministry team. We weren't a youth ministry team. We showed up at this girl's house and they were like 16. They had been kicked out of their homes. They had were using drugs. They were in a really difficult place. They, they had stayed clean for us that day so mm. that they'd be ready for us. And one of the girls on our team, just her heart really went out to them and she was really compassionate. And I just left that house so angry. Like, so mm, angry. Mm. I just thought, someone should have got to those girls before this happened. This mm. can't, this isn't right. Like, and this passion for children and what led to children's ministry. Um, like, I really look back to that as being a time when God said, yeah, here, I think I want you to do this and be involved in this. Um, so, I I mean, the the... The hints of it were there long before that. I think even before Bible college sort of was open to yeah. um, mission mission or ministry being part of my journey. Didn't think I'd be in Canada as long as I have. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, so it's in the water of your family. I mean, yeah. you, you guys are, it's <laughs> yes, like all around you. Yeah, there's generations of pastors. Yeah, I'm yeah, a sickle yeah, coal, so yeah. there's lots of sickle coals out there in lots of denominations so did, as pastors. Was it an option for you in your mind that, you know, you wouldn't do ministry, like you, you could do other things? Yeah, I think so. At one point, I did think I'd become an elementary school teacher, mm. um, and then, then I just never pursued the education for that. I actually ended up in a lot of classroom settings in other um, capacity, yeah. but uh, yeah, I think it, it was an option. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, how did that, you know, that initial calling, where did it lead you uh, from there? Well, um, I was in Bible school at the time. I was doing a Bachelor of Biblical Studies in Eston College in Saskatchewan and didn't really, wasn't really doing it with kids ministry in mind. But then, um, as I said, he really touched my heart about that. And I, and I wasn't pursuing like a job in that area, okay. but was had been on a weekend ministry team in a place that had kids on their radar in a, in a rural Saskatchewan church. And um, so they actually extended an invitation and said, hey, we've never had a children's pastor before. Do you want to mm. come and invent that role with us? Okay. <laughs> wow. So yeah, after Bible college um, in my early 20s, um, went to rural Saskatchewan to be a children's pastor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And started there. Yeah. And so give us a, a quick topography of that journey from, from your first children's ministry role 
all the way to your current church, Hillcrest. What okay. happened in the years there? Yeah. Um, so I was in Assiniboia, Saskatchewan, for three years and uh, yeah. worked in daycare at the time. Wasn't paid by the church. It was, oh, a, wow. it was okay. a side gig, yeah, yeah. but it was the reason I was there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I hadn't finished my bachelor's degree because it wasn't offered. And so then after a few years there, took a year to go and just finish off that degree mm-hmm. and um, was in Edmonton for that time and involved in some missions. Um and actually, that was a really significant time because because I was a missionary kid, yeah. um, and I didn't expect to stay in Canada. Like mm. I sort of thought I'd come to Canada, maybe go to Bible school for a few years, and then I'd be somewhere else. And yeah. every year, it surprised me that I was still here. Mm. I tried to leave the country every year, but um, and was usually su- successful. Um, but then, uh, in that year that I was doing education, the Lord just really clarified um, part of His call on me because I was I hadn't figured it out. I was in my early twenties, and I thought. Yeah. Do I just want to travel the world? Because I did enjoy that a lot and had done mm. lots of short-term mission stuff. Or am, are you calling me like to mission somewhere? But I didn't have like, my experience to that point was kind of that somebody would have like a passion for a certain people group or a certain country right. or language. Yeah, which was pretty normal for missions yes. culture at yeah. that time. Yeah. And I didn't have that. Like mm. I spoke Spanish because we did growing right. up, but it didn't feel like enough. And so I'd sort of almost come to the conclusion, I think I just want to travel the world. And then I remember very specifically at a conference, the Lord just really specifically saying to me, stick with me and we'll go places. That was his line. Hmm. And, and I hmm. thought, okay, it's not just traveling. Right. Um, and then in in the months after that, he just really clarified that he had put a call in my heart um, to the nations. Hmm. And that was very freeing to me. Hmm. When I look back at it now, I think, oh, well, that should be so obvious. That's like, that's all over. Yeah. The Abrahamic covenant, sure, right? yeah, the, yeah. the Great Commission, everything. But but to me, that had been a stumbling block that I didn't feel called to one area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, um, I got lost in the story, Rob. We were going, we were you going were to in Edmonton. Ministry. You we were, were in Edmonton, Edmonton yes. <laughs> we were, um, I was in Edmonton and then um, ended up going on staff um, at the Bible college I had graduated from okay. for yeah. two years yeah. in the outreach department specifically. Yeah. And that would be Eston College today, that which was, is yeah, F- FGBI College. in the back day. Yes, yeah. that's right. It was FGBI. Or My it alma mater for two years as yeah. well. I was there, fully guaranteed Bridal Institute. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Mine was a delayed guarantee. My husband and I met there, but it was, wasn't until <laughs> 10 years after that we noticed each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I went on staff there as a, an assistant to work with like the mission yeah. outreach teams and the student ministry to other areas. Mm-hmm. So did led some children's ministry teams of students and some mission teams in that those couple of years. And then um, I I was trying to think the other day. I thought, how did how did Alan Buchanan invite me to come to Moose Jaw? Because I don't know how Alan mm-hmm. even knew who I was, but and, I remember Alan was the senior pastor. He was the senior pastor at yeah. the time. Yeah, and long long standing senior pastor and. Um, but I was at, we were at a general conference and I taught a session um, about child protection policy. Okay. It was a huge session, Rob. Wow. <laughs> Five people came. One yeah. of them was my mother. <laughs> and, and one senior pastor came. Huh. This Alan Buchanan from Wistar. This was way out east. And so that, I guess that's how so, I met so him. So was this in the days before Plan to Protect? This or? was Plan to Protect. No, it was, was on protect. a floppy okay. disk. Oh, like, nice. They bought Old a school. manual with yeah. a floppy disk. Yeah. Yes, but this was very new in our fellowship. And yeah. so I was helping introduce it. And um, anyways, and Alan just grabbed it and ran with it. And so anyways, I was working at the college and he approached me and said, you know, we're interested in hiring a children's pastor. We haven't had somebody in a designated role like that. We've had a youth Mm. person who's done some of that, but would you talk with us about it? And and I just thought, I don't think I'm going to be a children's pastor again. Mm. So Mm. I said, no. 
Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, and then at the college, um, I was listening to your Advent podcast with Father Dean Pinter. Yeah, yeah. And Dean and I overlapped on staff at the college in those years. And I ended up in a conversation with him one weekend about education. And I had looked into doing a master's degree and just felt like it wasn't the time. But something about that conversation, he was talking about um, how valuable it is to have your education younger. So mm. you have more years right. to use it. And I was already in my late 20s at that point. And I just really felt like that the Lord overnight put his hand on my heart and just said, now, do it now. Hmm. And hmm. I had looked into a few schools, but Briarcrest yeah. Seminary kind of made the most sense. It was right. the closest. Right. And over that weekend, I thought, okay, well, if I go to Briarcrest, then I should have said yes to that children's pastor's job because it was a part-time gig. <laughs> going to pay and, the bills while yes, you're in school. Exactly. Yeah. But how do you go back and say, by the way, yeah. th- about that job that I said no to? So I was kind of stewing about that, got into the office on Monday. Of course, there's no cell phone, so I couldn't have seen my email. On Monday morning, there was an email from the pastor at Hillcrest Down mm. Cannon saying, I know you said no, but would you reconsider? And that wow. was some weeks wow. or months later. Yeah. So I just really took that as the Lord's to say, hmm. yes. So I said yes, moved to Moose Jaw, started a seminary degree, and was the children's pastor for, for the first 10 years that I was here. Wow. Wow. And and in that whole period, you got married? I did. Yep. Um, some years in there, um, in my early 30s, my husband showed up and yeah. moved to Moose Jaw too. He liked Moose Jaw. And yeah, so I'm married to Kevin. And um we have two boys. They're 11 and 13 now. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. Great years. Yeah. Busy years. <laughs> yes. Busy years. Yeah. Okay. So you, um, I mean, you, you were in that position for quite a while and, uh, and I think Moose Joe was, uh, the church Hillcrest was transitioning out of the, the old Sunday school model with a Sunday school yes, superintendent, right? And so yeah. this is all very new and I'm sure you made a lot of changes in the children's ministry <laughs> well, program. I was, somebody just before me had made some of the really hard changes. They mm. had made a shift out of an old Sunday school model into like a large group, small group format for yeah. kids and the kids had their own service and that kind of thing. Yeah. But there was still lots that needed to be tweaked. And, and so, yeah, and I, I was still felt quite new to lots of it. They were gracious to let me learn along yeah. the way. But yeah, we did a lot more with um, team dynamics for leading um, children's ministry teams. We did lots more training, hmm. more implementation for things like plan to protect. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah. it was that was a really good experience and I was able to work in a really positive team setting. It was a small pastoral team at the time, but yeah. um but some really valuable things came out of that. and So you were at this time concurrently while you're working. I mean, you're working on your Master of Arts in Leadership and Management at Briarcrest. Is not that what quite, it was? Not quite. Not quite. It doesn't exist anymore. It was Christian ministry okay, with okay. a focus on leadership. Okay. But, <laughs> so. but I mean, the value of that, and, and I always found this to be true with my... Because, I mean, when I did my undergrad, I, I was in school while I was doing my undergrad. Like, yeah. I was doing my undergrad and... Uh, commuting an hour to school in Regina and then coming back to Mooshtra and doing youth ministry by yeah. night kind of thing. But I found it so valuable because I was able to immediately put into practice all yes. these things oh, I was so learning. true. Yeah. yeah. And here I was in my late 20s when I started that. And, you know, you'd come to class, there'd be students from all over, but it was the ones who'd come directly from college who were like, yeah. oh, here's a project. Well, what can I imagine that I could apply this to? And right. the rest of us were like, oh, I know exactly how I'm going to apply this right now, <laughs> yeah, next week. Yeah. And yeah, it was very formative. In fact, I had a, a critical conversation 
conversation with a fellow student when I took my first course, I think first or second class, because I went into it, I just picked a really general program because I thought, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'm in children's ministry, children, family ministry. There weren't a lot of programs out there in those years right. at seminaries. Um, so I thought, I'll just take the most general program that I can choose the courses that benefit me the most. And um, there was a children's pastor who was from a really large church in the States who was up and he said, you don't need training in children's ministry. Right. Like I was already teaching that stuff, really. Um, He's like, you need training in leadership and management because that's where your skill set needs to grow, to grow your teams. And that changed my thinking about it. So um, the courses I chose did end up being a lot of the leadership management ones. Um, But I didn't go into that track, but uh, I drank their Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, because then those courses teach you in the competencies, but those competencies span across so many different ministry contexts, right? You can use them in so many uh, different ways. That's great. So you were at Hillcrest then for about 10 years, you said, Mm -hmm. and then something happened, something changed. Um, Something began the shift. Talk to us about that. Well, a lot of things had changed in those 10 years, actually. I had gotten married and um, was just having my second baby. So I'd had a couple of mat leaves in there. And in that shift in those years, um, we'd had a pastoral change as well. Mm -hmm. Pastor Allen had passed away. um, And uh, well, first stepped down and then then passed away. And we had a new pastor in, Dave Wicks, who's back on our staff again. And really had a heart for the community. In the years that I was a children's pastor, um, because of some of our outreach things, kids sports camp and some different programs in the community that I'd volunteered for personally, um, I'd I definitely, after 10 years, had more of a understanding of some of the challenges in our community, mm. but not really a capacity to do too much about them. And there, and when Pastor Dave came, he just has such a heart for community, um, being with community, um, meeting needs in the community. And we started talking about a shift in my role. And honestly, I didn't see what was coming. That okay. That's a big part of my story. Yeah. I often just don't see what's coming. Okay. <laughs> but... Yeah. but um, I thought maybe the shift will be like to family ministry or like working more Mm. with the parents instead of just with the kids. But the board and Dave um, sort of caught this vision for what if we did something new and we specifically focused on the community and designated someone who would just focus there. And so out of that, um, we ended up creating my position. um, And it was still a part-time. I've always been part-time. That's just worked with my world. And, um, but kind of with the purpose of, seeing what's out there. We, we thought, what if, what if we didn't start a single program without asking ourselves, is there really a need for this? Mm. Like so many mm. times we have great ideas in the church yeah, and yeah. we try these things and then nobody shows up or it flops or we can't get volunteers for it. We think what's going on. Or and we maybe... cause worse things to happen. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah. we didn't want to do that. We were just like, let's just find out what the needs, the real tangible needs are in our community. Um, and then see if we can meet any of them. Hmm. And so it started a journey, which I'm 11 years into now, but those early years were really exploratory. Let's like, let's just find out who's out there. What are they doing? What are the needs? Who's meeting them? Where are the gaps that we might be uniquely designed to fill Hmm. and minister Hmm. to to our community? So it was very much so a making up, making it up as we went. Um, We weren't finding lots of models for what we had in mind out there, at least not locally. There weren't a lot of churches that were doing... No, no, not that we knew of or or not really how we envisioned it. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, what were some of the early discoveries you guys had? Well, um, at the very beginning, 
God was just so gracious. It was his timing. Like um, he just sent us a person of peace right away Hmm. who I remember I was like back from a maternity leave my first week and I saw some advertisement for there was a community forum happening. It had to do with sustainable housing or something. I knew nothing about that. I'm like, I'm going to go to it. It has to do with the community. And at that place, and I was so nervous, I thought... um, what will people think when they find out I'm representing a church? Like, these are all business people, right. community yeah, leaders. Yeah, yeah. Like, I felt very fish out of water. I was had been a children's pastor. And um, and at the first breakout group, everyone was going around and saying who they were and who they're from. And I was so nervous for to say yeah, my yeah, thing. Yeah. And so I said my new title, I'm the community advocate for Hillcrest Church. And the woman next to me, she was an older lady, and she just turned to me. And she was so positive. She's like, oh, this is good. And... Mm. <laughs> And it turned out, I didn't know who she was, but she was actually a really significant leader in the community. Hmm. And from that one connection, she ended up inviting me into multiple interagency groups um, to to do different kinds of work. And I wasn't always as interested in the the group itself, but who was at the table. Um, So I was part in those early years. I was part of all sorts of groups having to do with early years and partners against violence. and um, So you got on a whole bunch of committees yes. and work all the groups stuff and, people don't yeah. want to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, i went to a lot of meetings yeah and that days. was your job was that to actually was do job. that yeah, to, was to and, you know kind of investigative things. understanding yeah. of what's happening yeah. so yeah. break down this idea because i i think a lot of our listeners uh should be probably familiar with the idea but when you say person of peace uh give us a bit of an understanding of of, of your yeah. perspective on that i think i think a person of peace is somebody who opens the door for you into an area or a com- part of a community that you wouldn't have access to on your own. Hmm. And they can be a follower of Jesus or not. Right. Sometimes yep. he send us, sends us a person um, who isn't, but he uses them to to sort of hold your hand as they introduce you to their people. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, the idea of a connector, sometimes they're really connected, right? Yes. They don't have to be yes. super. Oh, this but, woman was. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Who wasn't she connected to? It was amazing. I, I Yeah, mm. that was his hand for sure yeah. in it. And, and those connections led to lots of conversation. Now, this is all pre-COVID. So everybody was meeting in person, yeah. right? So you would go to a meeting and you'd talk about the topic, but then there'd be chit chat before the meeting and chit chat after the meeting. And you'd realize, oh, I need to talk to this person. And a few of those conversations led us into much deeper connection down Mm. the road. Mm. Now, 10 years later, I don't, I'm not part of all a bazillion committees. Right. Um, Yeah. You've kind of had to choose which ones are most, Yes. which are going to be most impactful or helpful. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We've sort of narrowed things down, but in those early days, it was just so much discovery um, and saying yes and not knowing if it was good or bad. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as your kids got older um, and the role begins to change, have you increased your hours away from part-time or are you still part-time? No, I'm still part-time. Okay, still yeah. part-time. Yeah. yeah. And what are your um, what are your key responsibilities now? Like how, how has it evolved and changed over time? Yeah. Um, well, uh, one of the things that has changed are my, the purpose statement for my area is to seek the good of Moose Jaw so that all people in Moose Jaw can hear and respond to the gospel. Hmm. And um, one of the verses we look to is Jeremiah 29, 7, where, you know, they're in exile. We don't like that yeah, part necessarily. Yeah. We don't feel like we're in exile in Moose Jaw, but to say, um, to seek the peace of the city that yeah. I placed you in. Yeah. If they prosper, you will too. And so that's been, um, that's part of it. So I, my role is, um, I've been fortunate enough to be able to shape it to go with my giftings, which um, it's kind of like this weird mix of apostolic um, engagement and administration. Right. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. 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 um, So we, um, in more recent years, it used to be harder to tell people what I did, explain what I what Mm -hmm. I was, but 
the short answer is I connect the church to the needs in the community. Yeah. Um, in recent, more recent years, we've had better language around some of our values and and I brought my statement because I can't rattle it off off the top of my head still. But um, And some of it is still aspirational. But yeah, one of our yeah. statements is that we are for the city. Yeah. Um, we desire to be in Moose Jaw's corner, fighting alongside and fighting for Moose Jaw, supporting, blessing, serving its people individually and systematically. Mm-hmm. So I look for opportunities for us to engage with needs in our city. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's a project, but we intentionally stray away from doing just projects. We want projects that lead us to people connection. Yeah. Um, so we do some big things like um, our citywide food drive, which I think we'll chat about a little yeah. bit down the road. But um, but we really want to make people connections. We want to connect our people to opportunities to bless um, people in Moose Jaw who are far from Christ and people who have tangible needs that we can meet. We often quote to ourselves, I often say to our leadership, like, we need to intervene here. This is literally a widow with orphan children. Like these are, these are values that we have biblical values. Um, So I'm part of the pastoral team. Um, I, we lead some programs that's more new in recent years. We haven't always, we've tried to be very organic in how we do it. So we have some programs and some events, um, but we also try to be in relationship um, both with um, service providers who reach needy people. Oftentimes I think when you think of reaching needs in your community, you think, okay, we need to um, feed the hungry, which is part of what we value is feeding the, feeding the hungry, welcoming the newcomer, um, to our shores, newcomers yeah. to Canada, and then just blessing the city. That's kind of the mm. three categories. Mm. But we've learned in the in the mix that um, your service providers need Jesus too. And some of those relationships, right. we might never meet the client yeah. that we yeah. would label as the needy person yeah. that we should be reading, but we, meeting, but um, we'll meet the service provider and we've been able to be blessing yeah. to them yeah. as well. Yeah. So yeah, it's... Yeah. It's all sorts of things. Yeah. And it changes. Yeah. In our, uh, the church plant that I was, I, you know, I planted in cross point, um, back in 2010 and just, you know, a year and a half ago, I've come to Briarcrest now, but, uh, ours was a very externally focused church, mm-hmm. um, missional as, as well. And, uh, similar to you, uh, there was a whole bunch of community agencies. We moved into a new neighborhood, Beverly, which is very, yeah. you know, very tough neighborhood. Lots of social need, um, uh, working poor and homelessness, and and uh, new Canadians, and, and and you know, so much um, uh, need in the area. But rather than us trying to start stuff like as a church, we yeah. just the same as you. Let's come alongside the agencies that are there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I I called it practicing our withness. Well, and not good. just our witness. Yeah. So the witness is us just coming alongside and saying, we're going to be with you as you're doing your work. And I had the same experience as you. Like I, I showed up to these meetings. I'm the only church there. Yes. Like it's all these different agencies. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, you're from a church, you know, and, and just to say, hey, our posture is just to say, what are your needs? And yeah. we'll share it with our people. And we'll yeah. just come alongside you and serve. But it was the same thing. It was like the witness was actually with the people around the table yes. and our solidarity yeah. with them in, in, in working with the needs and, yeah. and all those challenges. So, um, yeah, I love it. Love it. And, and I think for us, we thought we don't want to come into a neighborhood on a white horse and say, we've got all the answers yes, and we're going to fix everything. Exactly. And we know, when there's already good that's happening, we're not yeah. going to recreate yeah. what's already going yes. on. Yeah. And in fact, one of the first things that we got involved in that we aren't involved in anymore was a program in schools. Okay. Um, in elementary schools. Um, and it was a fabulous program. It wasn't a Christian program. Yeah. It had 
the values were all there. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons we did it was because the group that I was part of, they had some years earlier, they had already uh, identified that that program would be a preventative um, measure that they could take in the community um, sort of as against violence among mm-hmm. children mm-hmm. and anti-bullying. Yeah. And they had identified the program, but they'd had nobody who would look at it. And it had just been sitting on the on the agenda, the tabled part of the agenda for a couple of years. And I recognized the name of it when I became part of the group and was quite interested. And so I said, what, would it be okay if we just kind of found out what it would take to right. get this going? And, right. and ended up, you know, getting trained and then facilitating the program for, at one point for Southern Saskatchewan, but also, but for our community, we ran um, up to a dozen programs in schools mm. every, we were there every week, you know, with a yeah. parent and the baby in the classroom. And it was an empathy mm. program. Yeah. Um, fabulous program. Pertussis outbreak, then COVID shut it down, oh, right? So, yeah, but yeah, yeah, it yeah. was a very much so being with, and we had the opportunity um, to influence who was being trained. So we yeah. were sending followers of Jesus into classrooms as in, yeah. as instructors. We were recruiting families with new babies. Um, lots of them were um, church families and just being present. Um, and But one of the reasons we did it was because they had already identified um, mm. this is the solution yeah. we think would be great. And it was something that we could totally embrace. Um, there wasn't any value issues or anything like that. And so, um, and that spoke a lot to them that we would do that. Mm. So, yeah, we we wanted to see who who's already doing what. If it's already covered, we're not going to try to reinvent it, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Our own version of something that yeah. is meeting. How can we support them? And then the people of God just go in, be salt and light, and yeah. be the best volunteers ever. Yes, right, exactly. Uh, sacrificial, surrendered, loving, caring, um, and real. You know, yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the 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 Jeremiah verse is at the center of of what you guys are doing, and and, and actually, I do think the church is moving into exile culturally, yeah. you know, I mean, actually in Musha though, I mean, the church still has a pretty good reputation in, in some ways. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We're a bit of a different, um, yeah. culture that way. And, and Hillcrest church is a hundred years. We just had our hundred years. So yeah. We've been here for a long time. Right. Um, but it is, it is wonderful. Like in our journey, it was wonderful to get to a place where we'd been building relationship with mm-hmm. agencies and service providers for enough years that they started calling us about things mm. and said, would you, yeah. could you? That's and great. that was like huge win yeah. Um, that, yeah, mm. that we'd be invited into things and that there was trust that they yeah. said, we, we actually think you do a good job of this yeah. and, yeah. and we trust you to do it. And that's so important. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, trust is the, the grease and the wheels in relationship. And without that, I mean, it's... Uh, it all falls apart, um, and and I think our our posture as the church is we're moving into exile. You know, we're, we're no longer. And, and I think about you know across the country, our tendency is to to hearken back to the days when we weren't in this <laughs> position of powerlessness, but we actually yeah. had more of a, a position. But you know, in the Jeremiah passage, is this no? Well, you're there. You're in exile. Yeah. Just serve the city. Yeah. Be, be for the city. Yeah. You Settle know? down and bless them. Yeah. 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 And I think that's yeah. a that's pro- probably the most important posture that we can take culturally right now is yeah. is being on mission for the city and loving yeah. the city and caring for the yeah. city. And that we've spent a lot of years, um, we, I, I forget how many years back now, it's been six or seven maybe that we started um, going through like prayer evangelism model mm. material with our people. Yeah. And and that's all built on, you know, you you talk to God about your neighbor before you talk to your neighbor about God. Yeah, <laughs> like you're yeah, you're yeah. praying for them, you're blessing them. And that is a real shift in some people's thinking because when we go into our communities and there's something like we have broken communities and we can become angry about the brokenness yeah. and we can speak curses over our community or we can speak blessing mm. and we can, you know, walk into those things knowing 
having that um, crisis in control that he's already at work in our communities and he's inviting us to be part mm. of that work. Um, and I think that that's a big shift for some of our people. And I've heard some stories from individuals saying, yeah, I just thought this is a stupid idea, not the prayer evangelism, yeah, but yeah. whatever was going on politically or whatever, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. dumb. But then they said, but if it's going to happen, well, God, how are you going to use me in yeah. the midst of this? Yeah, if yeah. this is the, the way it's going. So, yeah, rather than just diving in headfirst into the culture wars, yes, instead yes. Saying, dive headfirst into Jesus yeah. in prayer and yeah. then say, yeah, I'm yours, Lord. Yeah, it's good. That's good. Well, um, Yours is a, a bit of a unique role, and not a lot of churches of of your size will make room for this kind of position. I mean, typically, uh, churches uh, usually go through the life stages in their hiring capacity. It's it's often children's pastor first, youth pastor, yeah, um, and then you know if the church gets large enough, then they're like, oh my goodness, we got to do something about young adults, and then you know yeah. you're, you're well, filling the up the children's those. pastor sometimes gets. Is a free volunteer. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. It's hired. true. It's true. I, I would never do that, though, because I think uh, the best way to build a good youth ministry is to build first a great yes, children's exactly. ministry. Uh, and yeah. then years later, the youth ministry will be built upon the shoulders of the children's ministry. But not all churches do it that yeah, way. Yeah. you know. But then it's a small group pastor. But this role, I mean, like, let's hire someone specifically for this role to to be the bridge builder between us and, and the city. Um, do you find it challenging having to explain your role to other people? Um, at first, yes. And because in church circles, if you have community in your title, most people think it's small groups. Mm. And so there was some of that confusion. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we let the congregation know, like, this this was the focus, this is what we're doing. But we also didn't know what it would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't as difficult to explain it in the community. Um, okay. And, and the, my title is Community Advocate. Um some people just jump on that and they're just like, they think they know what it means. And uh, it's, it's easier now in-house to explain it because we've crafted that language of being yeah. for the city. Yeah. Um, but usually I just tell people I'm, you know, I'm here to connect us to the needs in the community. Yeah. And that kind of satisfies both sides. Um, I can't always explain what I do with every hour of my, no, <laughs> my I know, time. I know, right? because, yeah. But um, yeah, that's people get that big picture. Yeah, it's like having a broken arm of the cast and everybody sees the cast. And, what, yeah. what happened? Go, oh, I don't want to tell this story again. Yeah, yeah that's why we got you on the podcast. You just, you just say, Here, go to this podcast. We'll, they'll, yeah. they'll explain everything. Uh, so let's talk about some of the areas you work with. Um, sure. Let's start with new Canadians. I mean, that's yes. I know it's that's, that's part of the heart of what you do. Yes, this is and this is where my heart is with yeah. the nations. And when I moved to Moose Jaw in 2003 um, because I was I grew up in Latin America. I Googled on Stats Canada how many you know Latin Americans are there. How many <laughs> Spanish speakers live in Moose Jaw? Do you know how many there was? It were about thirty five thousand people, right? Yeah, yeah. There were twenty five of them. Yeah, I, and I, I thought to I myself, how will I ever meet them? Yes. <laughs> how will I find them? And yeah. I never did. You didn't um, just walk down the street and say, <laughs> "What is Spanish, this? Yeah. What is?" <laughs> but now, now twenty years later, Moose Jaw has a very different face. Um, yeah. it is way more multicultural. And Moose Jaw has actually, for I don't know, sixty, seventy years. I don't know how long. It's it's existed, but the Moose Jaw Multicultural Council is a government settlement agency who settles refugees every mm-hmm. year. Um, yeah. Right now, I think their quota is about sixty um, refugees will be settled in our community every year. And then, in addition to that, you have all your immigrants who are come for school, yeah. Yeah. for work, and that's really increased dramatically in the last five years, mm. um, especially. So, to me, it's been delightful. To it's just like, oh, there's international food sections in our superstore now, like yeah, that yeah, used yeah, to yeah. exist, exactly. and people are shopping there and you can go to the store and hear different languages and lots of um, service providers now are um, weren't born in Canada. Um, so I was happy for 
those opportunities. And actually, our biggest opportunity, the, the door opened for us because of one of those meetings I went to. I went to mm. a housing meeting years ago, and this organization, the Multicultural Council, was doing a presentation about some of the barriers to housing for their clients. Okay. And um, one of just the side issues that this woman said was that the first couple months after resettlement, um, funds move very slowly, even though there's funding coming, they don't have access to those funds immediately. Mm. Or at the time, this was the case. And so sometimes even just startup supplies are really challenging. So after that meeting, I just pulled her aside and said, can we talk more about this? I'm really interested in in what you said about this piece, not the housing piece, but this piece. So I ended up meeting with her and, um, and said, what if what if our church provided a small bin of a Rubbermaid bin of supplies for your clients? Could you help us write a list of what hmm. we could put in that bin that yeah. your clients would receive? And they were just thought this was amazing. So she helped us write the list. And there was, you know, some staple foods, a bag of rice, bag of flour, sugar, sure. those kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. But lots of little things like, you know, a can opener, some mixing bowls and spoons and yeah. cleaning supplies, yeah. all those kinds of things. And so we started um, making these bins and, you know, about $100 of items would go into this bin. And and then they would, um, I think back then they probably just called me and said, we have a family arriving. Hmm. Can you bring a bin to the office? Now, back then we just took them to, we never met the clients. Okay. We just took the bin to their office, relationship yeah. building with the agency and their settlement workers and just dropped them off. And um, so we were doing that, you know, maybe 10 or 12 bins in a year hmm. at that time. And we'd done that for about faithfully for about three or four years. Wow. That's all we were doing. Wow. And then in the... Right before Christmas of 2015, the government of Canada decided to resettle 20,000 Syrian refugees in Canada. Yeah, yeah. And we had a settlement agency already in our community, so we knew that they would receive, they were anticipating that they might receive even four times um, their annual allotment in in two months of the next year. And so... Even though it's what they did all the time, the the community had rallied all sorts of... There was like a dozen agencies that they were having emergency meetings with to say, what are we going to do? How are we going to help? And we got invited to that table hmm. and because we'd been doing these bins. Yeah. And so at, other than the Salvation Army, who's expected to be part of that, yeah. we were the only other church invited in at that point. Hmm. And so through a bunch of steps, um, it ended up that... Uh, so. At one meeting, somebody said, or they emailed me and said, so you've been providing these bins for our clients. Um, We would love it if you could provide these bins for all of our Syrian families that are coming. And Mm. they were saying there might have been, they thought there might be 40 families coming in a month or two. In the end, we ended up with about 22. But I just smiled and said, yes, of course we can. And in my brain (laughs) thought, how? How are we going to do this? So here's what we did. I bought 40 bins. We took them to church on a Sunday morning, had them all in the entrance. And we had a list of what was going to go in them. And we told our people, when God brings unreached people of the world to our doorstep, mm-hmm. we have to, we might not agree with it because there was a lot of political discussion. Should they do sure, this or not? Yeah, and yeah. we have people on every side of it in our church. Yeah. Um, but we have to ask ourselves, what is God doing? Yeah. We have to at least ask ourselves mm-hmm. that. And so we said, I thought, okay, we're over the next few weeks, we're going to send these bins home with Liz and fill them up and whatever. Well, I had bought 40 bins and they all left the church that morning with a family who was going to fill them and bring them back. In fact, 42 bins came back full wow. to me, and I didn't even have 42 bins. I mean, that, that, <laughs> so, <laughs> that puts the uh, shoeboxes to shame, yes, right? <laughs> yes, and it was amazing. And then the second piece that God just totally orchestrated, we had always delivered these to their office, and their office was extremely busy and overrun. going, and they're, they're yeah. overrun. And so he just, the Holy Spirit just one day just just suggest that you deliver them directly to the home. Hmm. And so I just sent a little email, said, would it be easier for you if we delivered these directly to your client's home? 
but we'd never met the clients before. Mm. We'd never been given access to, right, to right. homes or addresses. They wouldn't yeah. have allowed that at, in a previous season. And they said, oh, please do that. That would be wonderful. Hmm. Wow. So we started um, with two families and I took my father as the guinea pig with me and we went to go deliver these two bins. There was huge language barriers. These were all Muslim families coming yeah. from yeah. Syria. And um, we delivered those first two bins and had just this amazing experience. And as I drove away, the Lord just said, okay, that was good. Now you're not going to deliver anymore. You're going to send a different family to every family that settles and you're going to connect them. And that's what we did. So over the next two months, we sent, I think when counting kids, there was like 35 or 40 of our own people as volunteers to welcome on the day they moved into their home, each one of these Syrian families. And there Mm -hmm. was about 22 families. And that just started us off on this other huge journey of reaching out to um, refugees personally, being involved in their lives. And they were Muslim, which was not on our radar in Moostra at all. So that that really shifted. um, And it was such a wonderful, life-changing experience for the the core group that got involved. And and we're still connected to those families families to this day that many of them don't live here anymore yeah but we're, we, we keep yeah. connection we've got lists across provinces yeah. of ones we pray for and that we bless when we can yeah um yeah so he just threw that hmm. door wide open for us yeah well i mean as you know i mean my father-in-law was very involved with that as well and yes my yes with the syrian refugees and in fact he was the one who said i didn't agree that the government oh, yeah, <laughs> i'm yeah. telling on him i thought it was just a bad idea yeah yeah but then the lord said but if he's going to do, if this, the government's going to do this, how can you help? Yeah. And your father-in-law yeah. became like the the hero mover with yeah. his truck and his trailer. And he yeah. moved every one of those yeah. families. He yeah. was there. And your mother-in-law, she knew all their names and their kids' names and their oh, birthdays. And well, and they, and they still, were studying Arabic yes, and building. Yes. Really, yeah. And even yeah. today, they still come out to the to the farm and yep. fix their cars there. Yes. And, and so Karen and I, my wife Karen, um, we we got to meet these refugees surrogately, like just like when we'd come visit, yes. but then they would move them to Edmonton. Yeah. And oh. so we began to get connected with some of these Syrian families. That's right. And, I forgot about that. And that was a challenge like yeah. because of the language barrier, especially. Yeah. So we, the kids yeah. spoke English, the parents didn't. Yeah. And then we had Google translate on our phones <laughs> yes. and having awkward, broken conversations and eating meals together. I don't know what and, we would have yeah. done without cell phones and translate yeah. Yeah. in those but, early days but for sure. What, what an amazing opportunity that, that God in his providence should bring the nations to our doorstep. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, and the face of that has shifted in, in those years. Like that was 2016 was when we started that journey. So here we are, but I mean, I can't, that's eight years ago. Um, But now that's even more different. Now we have, hundreds and hundreds of students from India coming to yeah. to our local tech school yeah. every semester. And, you know, so that's a totally different demographic that we didn't expect to be and, meeting. And families from mainland China. Yes. Here in- yes. Now, one of the things that we do run is we run two English classes a week mm. for newcomers to Canada. Yeah. Um, because we, And we started them because we knew that that was a need for right. language skills. But the who showed up was a surprise to us because we thought, oh, these will be all our refugee friends. But no, 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 it wasn't. Mm. They're all Asian business people mm. who've come to start businesses and get permanent residency. And so, yeah, many of our guests are from China and Vietnam, yeah. Um, yeah. other parts of Asia. And um, we love it. We're friendly faces to practice English with them. We, we've, we're we mentored and get curriculum from a church in, in Calgary. Um, they have a ministry called Love New Canadians. Mm. Um, Rick and Patty Love is their last name. Yeah. Um, and uh, they produce curriculum for, for churches mm. to do this very thing because they say churches have, usually you have space that's available and you have smiling volunteers yeah, that are yeah, available yeah, yeah. and yeah. those two things can, can produce an ESL ministry. Mm. You don't need um, specialized training. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I sent you an email a, a 
couple of weeks ago about night, um, helping a new Canadian get connected here locally because of that. Who's the go-to person who's going to tell me <laughs> exactly what I need? Because we've had uh, a number of Nigerian families come yes. and uh, part of our church and they're attending school here as well. And uh, I don't know if I told you, but uh, on New Year's Eve day, so on the 31st, yeah. uh, we had a family, uh, we had 12 Nigerians over to oh, our house wow. for a Christmas no, dinner. Uh, it was so much fun. It was such a hoot. Uh, but uh, I, I just sent him a text when the temperature got to like minus yeah. 38 and then yes. minus 40 something, the wind chill. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I am so, yes. I'm so sorry. Yes. I'm here to help. How can I help you? You know, what I think. And uh, yeah. they seem to be doing fine. They're just staying yeah. inside, staying warm. Yeah. But uh, And I, I think one of the things that um, churches um, and followers of Jesus need to know is that first six months um, when they come to a new right. country, yeah. that is really a unique open door window. Mm-hmm. It's when newcomers will be the most open to change yeah. and yeah. new friendships. And friendships that are formed in that first six months or year will often be lifetime. Like yeah. they will consider you family because you were the, some of the first ones who welcomed them, even if they move off to other places yeah. and um, yeah. and you don't stay connected all the time. That's a really significant window. And so, yeah, we that's really important. And we, yeah. we enjoy being part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there's usually two things that happen. Number one, they become very more Canadianized and Westernized and, and kind of almost slip into the, the, the mindset of, of, you know, Canadian consumption and all that stuff, yeah. or they, they move closer into their ethnic group as yes. well. Right. Yeah. And kind of, uh, just get entrenched there and, and, and don't uh, get involved in yeah. cleaning. So there's, you know, there's two polarizations yeah. that could happen as a result of that. One of the common stories we heard from our friends who started here and yeah. then scattered across the country for, you know, universities for their kids or job opportunities mm. was that um, they would go to the new community. So a specific friend of mine went, they ended up in, in Ontario and, and of course they find their own people yeah. right from their own country. Yeah. None of their, their new friends from their home country had been in a Canadian home before. Wow. Well, they had been in lots wow. of Canadian right. homes yeah, in yeah, Moose Jaw, yeah, like, yeah. and they all comment on, you know, how welcoming Moose Jaw was. And we really, we really um, realized one of the things we needed to start saying literally out loud was that um, we don't do this because we're nice Canadians. We do yeah. this because we're followers of Jesus, yeah. because, yeah. you know, at, at in that honeymoon stage of settling, there's like, oh, every Canadian is fabulous. And they had, we're very happy that they've had positive experiences in our community. Yeah. But um, yeah, that personal connection, that friendship piece that didn't exist in other places. And when people mm. have moved, we all always pray for a connection people like you in Edmonton on the ground of the new place that they go to who will love them um, with the love of Christ and continue that journey because some of these will be really long journeys for us Hmm. the other interesting thing that he has done in more recent years with newcomers to Canada is we would very seldom ever meet a a family that were believers Hmm. and all of a sudden bang, 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 like five in a row. We're like, these families are Christians. And right. so now like yeah. I tell our yeah. people regularly, there's two reasons why we need to engage with newcomers to Canada. One, they could be followers of Jesus that he is bringing as partners in ministry because yeah. we need them. We yeah. need them in Canada because they'll be able to reach people we can't reach. Or two, they might never have had the opportunity in their home country to ever hear the name of Jesus or hear the gospel. And he's bringing them to Canada. Yeah. And yeah. this can be part of their Canadian experiences yeah. that they meet Jesus. So either way, we need to connect with them. Either they're going to be partners with us or um, they, we can share the gospel with them. Like, yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, and I think some people are reticent. Well, we don't want people coming to our country with their different religions and it's yeah. going to change our culture. But I, I think what people don't understand, and a Pew Research, I think, is, is the, the source of this. But over 50% of the diaspora of people groups moving around the world today, over 50% of them are Christians. Yeah. And so 
of the people groups who are coming to Canada, over half of them are actually our brothers and sisters yes. in Christ. Yes. Um, and uh, if it were not for new Canadians coming to Canada as Christians, the evangelical church in Canada would actually be in decline. Hmm. Uh, Reginald Bibby, I think his stats are, this was a number of years ago, it was only three or four years ago, but the stats were like 11% uh, oh, yeah. were, were yeah, evangelical, right? But, but, um, if it wasn't for new Canadians, it'd be 8% or, and dropping, right? Yeah. And so yeah. new Canadians who are coming to Canada, I mean, there, there's so much richness that we get from them being part of our churches yeah. because they are more prayerful, they are more evangelistic, and they're actually planting more churches yes. in Canada than yeah. the rest of Canada. So yeah. um, there's so much to be said about that. And, you know, and I, and I know recently, like just in the news in the last few few days, it's come out that you know, as of October 1st, uh, in one year, in a 12-month cycle, we had 1.2 million new Canadians come yeah. to Canada. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's all sorts of concerns about the economy and what that means for yeah, us and sure, housing and all that. Yeah, sure, there's problems with it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think you're right in the sense that like, we, whatever the case is, they're here. And yeah. as they're here, our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to welcome the foreigner yeah. and to do yeah. all we can to, yeah. to love them. Yeah. And for us, it really... Um, impacted us to know that in many of these situations at the beginning, especially um, with that big group was that we were the very first followers of Jesus they ever met. Hmm. Like, and that right. you come, both sides have preconceived ideas about right. what the other yeah. is like. Yeah. Um, and, and that it wasn't, they would view our culture as Christian um, in quotes, uh, but right. had they ever yeah. met a follower of Jesus? No. And, yeah. and, so that, yeah, that was a, a wonderful part of the journey for and sure. The, for and us. the perception they have of a Christian culture is what they see on Netflix. Oh, yes, or on the it's news. Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's terrible. And that's not, that's <laughs> yeah. not Christian. Yeah. So, so let's talk about um, uh, something else that you guys do. Yeah. Uh, you do this huge food drive every year. Uh, why don't we you talk do. to us about that? Yes. Um, so in the early 2000s, 2006, we were really had a focus on um, building uh, small groups, life groups mm -hmm. in our church. And so we went through this curriculum and we, at the end of it, you were supposed to do some sort of a service project. So this, the staff, we were, you know, just um, brainstorming, what could we do that would involve a lot of these small groups? Mm. What could we do? And our youth pastor at the time, who is now our lead pastor, he said, well, you know, I I saw this thing one time in a different community where they did door-to-door -door, um, food collection for the food bank on Halloween because people are ready to open their door on Halloween to yeah, the doorbell. Yeah. And um, he's like, I think we could do it. And I think we could do the whole city on wow, Halloween let's night. blow up Halloween. Yeah. For <laughs> and personally, I have to tell you, I have always hated Halloween. Okay. I love it now. It's okay, like the okay. best night of the year because yeah. I always had these torn feelings and culturally there was, there's cultural sure, issues and yeah, stuff. Sure, yeah. You've got some, uh, yeah. Yeah, some fundamentalist um, uh, background there that's uh, playing on your heart. But, yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, so we thought, okay, on Halloween, we're going to we're gonna mobilize all our small groups. Mm -hmm. We're going to get the maps of our city. We're going to highlight the maps of where which street they go to and they're just going to go. Nobody knew we were coming. We didn't advertise it. We didn't know enough to advertise right, it the right, first yeah, time. Yeah. And so we just sent out our volunteers. I can't remember how many went out that time. And, you know, the gym at the church was ready. It was empty. We'd, we'd collected a few boxes. to, yeah. And even um, Steve, who was the youth pastor at the time that um, is now our senior pastor, he he had talked to the food bank and said, we're going to do a food drive. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Thank you. Right. They said, not knowing. And we didn't really know, but we had an idea it was going to be big. And and the food just kept coming and coming, truckloads of food into that this gym. Night. That first night. Wow. That first okay. night, the first time we ever did it, 37,000 pounds of food came into our gym. <laughs> we ran out of boxes. We ran out of places. Yeah. We, and then we had this problem. We're like, where are they going to put it? Our food bank at the time was in this tiny little building. Yeah. And 
everyone was shocked. Mm. Um, we anticipated it would it would be successful, but we didn't know how successful. And so, eighteen years later, we we always run this on Halloween, yeah. and it it opened um, relationship with our food bank. Mm-hmm. And um, as you know, because you've been involved with us yeah, too, yeah. Um, it actually caused them to change their system of what was available. Because back then, the amount of food we would collect on one night was half the food they would give out in a year. Wow. And so it changed the size of the hampers they were giving out, the frequency of the hampers. Yeah, yeah. They started to change their space a little bit to be able to accommodate it. They used to have to rent a semi-trailer and put pallets of food in it, parked in the parking lot, mm. the, anything that could freeze. And then they just bring it in a pallet at a time as they had space for it. Wow. So um, now, um, all this many years later, we we still run it. It can't be done on our on our facility in our facility anymore because the gym's not big enough. So yeah. we rent the fairgrounds and yeah. um, we mobilize about 400 volunteers, more than that, actually, but 400 that, you know, are involved the night of um, to go door to door, collect food. It's well advertised. People know that we're coming. Oh, we had two COVID years where we did an online financial campaign mm. um, because we couldn't do door to door, but we did a door to door prayer yeah. um, walk of our city. We mm. blessed our city that way um, in that in that season. Um, I think our highest number, we got close to 60,000 pounds one year at the fifties in the high fifties. Now post COVID people are generous because that food costs a lot more, but I think we're still in the forties in the 40,000s of pounds. So we collect it. And then we're the only local food drive that actually sorts it all packages it all in into the categories that they tell us. Yeah. You have like a big, uh, on our, you know, what we would have our color exhibition grounds. There's a big facility there. That's huge. Basically. Yeah. It's all, Sort of, yeah. It comes in, it gets sorted, it gets palleted, it gets put into a semi, it gets um, delivered to the food bank the next day, yeah. and um, so that that's that's our biggest project that we do. And, every and there year. Are, are there other churches that are involved in it oh, as well yes. now? Like, oh so yeah, those more, those volunteers are not yeah. all um, Hillcrest people for yeah. sure. Yeah, we partner with other churches, lots of sports teams. Mm. Um, Briarcrest sends us sports teams. Um, Prairie Hockey Academy. Oh my goodness, like hundred volunteers of you right. know these teenage yeah, boys I had some, coming. I had some, to, ho- some hockey haircuts showing up at my door this yep, Halloween. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's a good for community partnership, and it's well known in the community now as well. Um, there's lots of other food drives that happen now for the food bank, so it definitely isn't um, half of what they would go through in a year because they go their capacity has really grown. Yeah. But um, it's a valuable partnership, and it led mm. us into more conversation with them. So we were doing that years before my position changed. In fact, I I didn't used to run it. I was involved at the beginning, but then somebody else volunteers were running it, and um, and when my position changed, we thought, well, let's just ask them: Is there someplace another way, other needs that you have? How yeah. else could we help you? And they said, actually, we need board members. They had a really right. aging board, yeah. Yeah. Uh, faithful, faithful people, but you know, for health reasons and different things, they just weren't going to be able to continue. And so I thought, well, I can do that. And so I went on to this board, yeah. and I've been on there for ten years now. Um, I, I do give some leadership to that in the more recent years. And as you know, because we've hired you as a consultant, we've yeah, gone yeah. through this huge transition. In the last um, four years, we um, bought our first building, relocated, which was a need for a long time, um, actually relocated right in the middle of the pandemic, renovated the building, put it on an addition, yeah, um, have, yeah. been, had, have been recruiting through those years um, for to build the board team as, as board members were aging out and, uh, and now have just been, um, finishing working through, um, ch- shifting to a policy governance board and, you know, with yeah. hopes of hiring our first, um, executive director this year. Um, so restructuring the organization, not the kind of work I ever expected to right. be involved yeah, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. but one of the things we discovered early on was that, um, sometimes the gap 
that you find in your community is a leadership gap. That's right. Yeah. And um, often church leaders are very well equipped. Um, some of us have sure. lots of education yeah. and skills yeah. and they don't just apply to church. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes um, that's where he wants us is in leadership because um, he's given us opportunity for, for that kind of work. So. Yeah. Yeah, it turned into something. Yeah, we and didn't it, you expect. know, and as an outside observer, I mean, so, so our listeners, uh, they probably don't know this, but I, I do have like a, a side consultancy, and I and I do some government yes, help a free, with yeah, so free plug I, I, here. yeah, yeah. So I, I came in to work with you guys, and um, I, w- I was really pleased to see that. I mean, it's not all church people around the table; it's people from no, you know, it it's isn't. Community Although people. there are lots, there of are churches some. Yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah for sure. People, but it's not but a church board, right? No, it's and not. so, you know, it takes a particular skill set to be able to navigate that to to not make it churchy, yeah. right? Um, but to um, to to lead people from different backgrounds, and and I think you're right. Like church leaders are uniquely equipped in leadership because you lead all the time. You've worked with boards somewhat most have and you've worked with volunteers yeah and the not-for-profit world not everybody has that skill set even if you're from a business background you maybe have not worked with uh you know how do you mobilize and motivate and encourage and develop volunteers in in works so uh good on you guys so i wonder listen are there um are there any stories like how have you seen god at work in your community yeah for sure um one of the stories, um, I, prayer, we've, we've known prayer is important for a long time, mm-hmm. but we've been putting lots of effort into trying to cultivate, uh, you know, a culture of prayer with our people. And, and we've seen that at work and the one story, and I, I just don't get to share this very often, mm. um, but, um, many years ago, a family from our church, um, delivered a, a bin of supplies to a refugee family mm. and the, the wives connected very quickly. They both had little kids, lots of little kids. Yeah. And there was a big language barrier, but, um, and then the, the woman from our church, she told me, she said, um, I, I think I've understood she's pregnant again. Um, it's hard to tell with the language and stuff, but I, I think she's telling me she's pregnant. And, and I was really excited for her. And mm. then the woman in her broken English was very distraught. And she said, no, um, she said, no, the baby must go. And, mm. and my friend, um, she said, I, I'm not sure what she's saying, but as she visited more and stuff, she said, I'm very concerned. I think she's actually going to have an abortion, mm. which culturally wouldn't have been acceptable. Right. Um, but she was a, in desperate, desperate straits, all these little kids, yeah. new country, yeah. come through war, all these things. And then she, she realized, yeah, she's got an appointment. She's planning um, to have an abortion. And this Christian woman, she rallied all her mother friends and she said, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that God will stir up a love in this woman's heart for her unborn child. Mm. And um, and so these this group of women started praying. And I remember going over to her house one day to pray with this Christian woman about yep. it. And she said, I'm going to go visit her tomorrow mm. and just see where things are at. The appointment was coming up soon. And, and we were just really crying out to the Lord. Um, and this family, not believers. Yeah. Um, and and the next day she visited her and then I, I followed up with her afterwards and she said, you would not believe it. I got to her house. Her face looked different. Hmm. She greeted me and with a smile and she said, I'm going to need a bigger stroller. The baby will stay. And there mm. was just like this mm. turnaround wow. and that yeah. child's life was saved. Like that kid is running around in our community and yeah. doesn't even realize that they're here because women of God prayed and mm. cried out for that little life. Mm. Um, and um, so we've seen things like that. We've definitely seen stories of God putting us in the right place at the right time to 
to be a blessing, to help, you know, when there's emergencies yeah. um, or that kind of thing. We've also seen like on the prayer evangelism side, you know, some of our people and particularly um, retired people have felt like their retirement has been totally changed because mm. they have a different focus now. So I think of one woman and she's exercising in the aerobics at the pool yeah. and at the whole time she's praying for every person in that class. And then she's going for coffee with those people afterwards and she's sharing her story and loving them. And she's, you know, these women are responding to her and those aren't newcomers to Canada. They're, they're old Canadians mm. and, um, and others So you know, their, their radar is up for their neighbors and their family and their friends to, to be a blessing and then to, to take the opportunity to meet a need and to walk into relationship and see where God takes you. So, um, yeah, for sure. Sometimes I wish like you wish the journey was always short, right? You wish it was short and yeah. to the point, right? Yeah. And we think, oh, but sometimes we'll journey with people for a very long time. Um, and, and that's okay too, because God's at work yeah, and uh, yeah. his spirit's working in and around them. And if he, even if he moves them on, we've had a lot of heartbreak um, when ones we're close to have moved to other places because yeah, we felt tough. like yeah. we thought we were going to get to keep you. We thought we were going to mm-hmm. get to see yeah. your household come to Christ. And that's not the case at this stage, but we're confident that he's at work because he's just so good. And he just... The, the invitation to be part of his mission um, to all nations, to all Canadians, to, you know, everyone in our community, like what an invitation. And he's going to do the work. He's doing the heavy lifting mm-hmm. in it. He's just yeah. inviting us to come alongside. And um, so that that's a real amazing place to be. Mm. So how does evangelism factor into your work? I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to do good deeds. You're trying to do, you know, mercy and justice work yeah. in the community, yeah. uh, but you're also working with, you know, secular agencies or, you know, non-faith-based agencies and whatnot. Um, is, is, what are some of the challenges you face with evangelism? Is it something that you do? Is your yeah? Um, I I'm, I don't per se lead like street evangelism teams. That's not the style. <laughs> you don't have a bullhorn in your back pocket. No, ready I to don't. Bring it out. Yeah. Um, I don't. But um, not to say that there wouldn't ever be a, a place for that. Yeah. That's not our. That's not my focus. Yeah. Our, we're focused very much on the relationship building piece mm-hmm. of it, um, and then. And then equipping our people to be ready so that when they're building relationship, they're also right. ready yeah. to share the gospel and are, are fluent yeah. that way. Um, so, yeah, yeah, evangelism is a priority. Um, it's not, uh, we don't usually tag that like yeah, But having said that, we are not just interested in doing, uh, are we called to acts of mercy and justice? Yes. But I think you do that with the love of Christ. And I, early on at the very beginning, I think, you know, even putting the church's name on something like you thought, yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. you felt a little funny or whatever. But yeah. I, pff, now I don't hesitate at all. I'm like, yeah. you get a welcome letter from the church that says, yeah. welcome to this community. This is yeah. a gift from us to you. Um, all those things like we're trying to, we are bold in that way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, um, Actually, I did bring a statement because I knew I wouldn't remember it if I didn't write it down. So mm. one of our, on our whole, some years ago, we went through, you can help me with the author's name because you'll remember, and I won't, um, the Discovering Your Why. Um, do you know this author? Oh, Simon Sinek. Simon Sinek, yeah. yes. And so the whole why, how, what, and that yeah. really shaped. And so, you know, mm. our why is to seek the good of Moose Jaw so that all people in Moose Jaw can hear and respond to the gospel. Um, we mentioned that earlier. But in our how, we have team building, we have evangelism. Yeah. Um, and how it kind of works in this is that when we evaluate opportunities in our community, we'll give priority to those that will link our people to people in need that would create opportunities for right. evangelism. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's always going to be more opportunities than 
than you can meet, mm. more needs than you can meet. So when you start to say, how do we say yes? How do we say no? Yeah. We're going to say yes to the ones that will link us to people. Yeah. And we recognize that true transformation and life change happens through an encounter with Jesus Christ, not merely acts of social justice. Yeah. So like that's in it. And then some of our other ones, you know, community partnerships, we've talked about that, our own lifestyles um, and our vision, which includes strategic ministry planning. Um, those all come into it as well. But yeah, on the evangelism piece, um, I guess it's just being ready, equipping yeah. our people, yeah. encouraging them, coming alongside them when we see them, um, you know, going out in ways that we would never think to do. Because yeah. it's not all about me coming up with ideas of how we engage, but also just coming alongside people that are already engaging in our community mm-hmm. and saying, how can mm-hmm. we support you as you reach out in that way? How can we, um, you know, what do you need from us? Yeah. 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 And, and, and I appreciate that you do that. I mean, I think you said though, you also do like prayer and evangelism, like that's a component of what you do. As yes. A, yeah. Yes. Um, I, I'm just looking to see, cause I have a note on that. Yes. There's a group, um, transform our world. I yeah, think yeah, it's the yeah. ones who, who produce like material for prayer evangelism. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's baked, based out of Luke 10, one through nine, where Jesus sends out the disciples and basically mm-hmm. they're going to pray and bless them. They're going to spend time. They're going to meet right. needs. Um, and then they're, they're going to declare the kingdom of God is here. Yeah, and yeah. so that's the model that, that we use. Um, so we repeat this a lot with our people. We're actually in that season right now, usually about this time of year or a little bit later, maybe around March, we spend a month to six weeks kind of focused. It looks a little bit different every time, but yeah. it's always an evangelism focus. And um, sometimes it's sort of repeating this um, and and sharing stories of mm-hmm. how God has done this in our lives. You know, one of the things we believe is that we need to have, um, everyone needs to have a list of people that you're praying for that are far okay. from Christ. Yeah. And um, sometimes we talk about a list of 10. For some people, it might be two or three, but, you know, actually getting to know who your neighbors are beside you, in mm-hmm. front of you, behind mm-hmm. you, um, and blessing your area of the city. Um intentionally having your radar up for when you're in conversation with somebody when there's a need and meeting tangible needs, like felt needs. So what they feel the need is not what you think their need is, because we're good at that. And that was even as a church, you can say, oh, well, we think our community needs this, but what do they tell you they're, they're feeling is their need. And when you meet that need, that speaks volumes to them because they identified that as their need. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you're listening. Yeah. Yeah. Just assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's a, evangelism is, is, a, is a bit of a sticky wicket. If you're going to go out and love and serve your community, I mean, you never want it to be, seem like it's like a bait and switch, right? No. That, that you're there only just so you can yeah. proselytize. Yeah. And I think some community agencies, that's why they're maybe so sensitive is, is churches have, have, have maybe broken that trust. Yeah. It's right? maybe been a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, Jesus calls us to love God and love our neighbor and yeah. our enemy. Full yeah. stop, period, right? Yeah. But, but you know, the greatest act of love we can do is to share with something, something that's so meaningful yeah. to us. And the- and when people share their own stories and their own experience in their life, that's different than, you know, the blowhorn on the corner. Yes. Right? Yeah. So yeah. that's where relationship and ongoing relationship um, is is important. And yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we can go the other way because social justice, like serving the community needs, that's, that's actually got more appeal. That's yes. actually, like in, oh, yeah. a lot it's of people are like, oh, I'll jump in on that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but then miss the gospel because that's right. the gospel and sharing the gospel is, is hard. Right. Because you could get rejected or persecuted or yeah. cause offense. Yeah. And-, and one of the things that has been so important to us and, and we repeat it a lot to our people in the prayer evangelism thing is that obedience is success. 
So if if God's put somebody on your heart, you've been praying for this neighbor, you've been having conversation with them, they've shared a need with you, you were able to help, or, or yeah. sometimes the need's too big and you can't do it personally, but that's where the church can come in as a body sometimes. And, um, and then maybe you're like, and yes, I was obedient at all those steps, but then... I thought this was going to happen and this and this didn't happen. What happened? Well, and then you feel like a failure. Like, yeah. no, obe- were you obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Well, then that you're su- that's successful. Yeah. yeah. It, um, he, leave it in his hands. He knows what he's doing. He knows who else is in the circle right. of their connections and their yeah. contacts and what the Spirit's doing and, and whatever um, journey they've been on. Yeah. But obedience is success. I think that's really important in the evangelism area because you can be obedient and plant a seed and you might never know. Yeah. Um, and then there's other, there's other times where you get to be part, like it, things happen quickly. Right, we right. had one story, one of our senior ladies, and she was at the swimming pool and just happened to, her radars were up and she chatted with this young mom. They ended up making an appointment to meet at a park so the kids could play. And I think she must have had her grandchildren there and, and ends up leading this woman to the Lord. Um, she got baptized. She's on this journey, but it was all just because she was open to a conversation mm. at the swimming pool. Yeah. And then just, you know, they connected and, and she was so kind hearted and loving towards this woman and, um, and God just used that. And she yeah. was willing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we just need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and be ready and available yeah. at any yeah. moment. Because other, I think some of us just like, we just go in, like we're carrying the football tuck, tucked and we're just running into yeah. in, in, right? <laughs> and we're a terrible substitute for the Holy Spirit. That's right. right? It's the Holy Spirit <laughs> who does the work in people's lives right. and we try and do it for him. Um, it's not evangelism, it's yeah. evangelism is what it is. <laughs> we're, we're wrecking things yeah. uh, with our spray paint cans. Yeah. Well, um, as we close, I wonder if you could maybe give a word of encouragement to our listeners who are sure. tuning in today. Yeah. Um, one thing, just on a on a strategic or practical mm-hmm. level, I think um, if you're if this is new a new area for you or your church, and you're like, we want to um, move into our community and engage more. There's going to be there's going to be some people that get it. You're going to yeah. have people that just get it right away because they're already doing it. Early or adopters. That's, yeah, they're yeah. early adopters. And so you run with them. Mm-hmm. You run with that core. And as you're running with that core, um, you're you're bringing the others alongside. So you're educating, you're talking about it, you're got the, yeah. getting the language in there. Um, and then then they'll, they're slower, right? They'll end up joining you. You're sharing the success stories. You're letting people share their stories of what mm-hmm. God is doing mm-hmm. in them as they engage with the community. And then there'll be a fringe that'll never get it. That's okay. Don't yeah. let them stop you. Um, you know, just bless them and keep yeah, doing yeah, it yeah, yeah. with the ones who get it. So, um, yeah, on a practical level. But I do have two scriptures that have been significant to mm. me in this journey. Um, and one is from Zechariah um, 4.10. And the story is Zerubbabel, who I think is the governor of Judah, and he's laying the foundation for the temple, right, after the exile. Yeah. And so it's not going to be the glorious temple that it was before, um, but they're starting to build on it. And mm. um the word of the Lord comes to them and says, do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. Hmm. And that one's on a board of my office because hmm. lots of times you think, oh my goodness, this is such a piddly attempt at yeah. an a, to yeah. do this or whatever. It's a baby step. And But as you take those baby steps, don't despise those. Rejoice. The Lord wants to see the work begin. Hmm. Like maybe it is a baby step for you or for um, your team, um, but let let him bless your small beginnings. Hmm. Um and the second one, and the last few months, I just keep coming back and back to this one. And I think as leaders in the church, we need this one a lot. Galatians 6, 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is right. good. Yeah. And just the, at just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Yeah. And yeah, that would be my encouragement as um, ministers of the gospel, as partners his, um, being invited into his work. Don't, don't get weary of doing good. It's easy to do. We all, we do. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but he's going to reap a harvest, a blessing. And so don't give up. Yeah. Good word. Well, Daisy, thank you for joining us at Church in the North. Thanks for having me, Rob. All right. We'll have to have you back again and, and hear more about what uh, God's doing in your church and with you. Sounds good. All Thanks right. so much. You've been listening to the Church in the North podcast, a production of Briarcrest College and Seminary. For more information about the podcast, visit churchinthenorth.ca. To learn more about Briarcrest, visit briarcrest.ca. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please share this episode with other ministry leaders. 